HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. This is Sam Edwards, proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network, SurreyFarms.com. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live every Tuesday in the back of Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network. Joined today with Nastasha the Hammer Lopez, who's going to leave directly from here to go to Seattle for the Modernist Cuisine Dinner. Portland first. Portland? What are you doing in Portland? Stumptown. Even though I don't don't appreciate good coffee. Well, okay, we'll, we'll get into this later. By the way, Nastasha brings up something like that. It, I, there's someone later made a comment that basically that, Nastasha, you should pick on me more so that the arguments seem more I one-sided. agree. Well, she has, she says she agrees because what she wants you, the listener, <laughs> to feel is that somehow, like, I only pick on her. Instead, what actually happens, I'll just give you a, a here's the thing. So, uh, for a living, Nastasha and I try to tell people what they should be eating, you know, not what they should be eating in a, in a way you should eat this, but trying to help people make better decisions, to make things better, to do a better job making food, using technology or otherwise, whether it's with cooking issues, whether it's at Booker and Dax, whether it's at the Museum of Food and Drink. We spend all of our time trying to increase the quality and not the snobbery, but the quality of uh, what people can produce and do produce and do consume, right? So... Like what Nastasha will do is not once or twice or three or four or 20 or 30 or 120 times, but more, poke me with things that she knows will bother me. For instance, that her favorite coffee happens to be from one of those quilted like boxes on the side of the street with wheels. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're also joined in the studio with uh, our intrepid engineer and the guy who keeps the entire Heritage Radio running, Jack Inslee, over there. Hello. Hey, guys. Yeah. Jack, you know what I'm talking about? Those quilted, those quilted like... Yeah. They got like stale stale bagels and coffee in them. So Nastasha, uh, uh, her point is that she likes to say that this is her favorite coffee because – and the first 30 or 40 times, I didn't let it irritate me. And then – because it's not like – I could say, hey, look, Nastasha, you enjoy that coffee, right? It's not that you you don't enjoy it because somehow you enjoy going down to the cesspool that is your street and (laughs) – and buying a coffee from this guy, and somehow that's an enjoyable human interaction that doesn't involve hipsters. Because, folks, Nastasha, 
hates hipsters and it's true. Good, yeah, hates them. And good coffee and hipsters in this city they go together. Do they yes. not, Jack? Most cities. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yes. Fair. Okay. Uh, she hates going to uh, Starbucks because she hates corporations and and the people who work in them. Jack, it, you can agree with that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she so she hates that, and, and she hates the the general alternative, which are hipsters, right? Because you're not. It's hard to get unless they're an owner, like a fifty year old non hipster, to sit around and make you a coffee all day. Jack, am I correct about this? <laughs> you're spot on. Yeah, a good so, coffee is good coffee, though. Th- that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 there's no snobbery to enjoying good coffee. It's just yeah. it's it's a right. It's a ri- it's a ritual. Like literally, there are peasants somewhere, most likely picking the coffee cherries that they then process. They're shipped all the way around the world to make a cup of coffee for you. Respect it. That's all I'm saying. Respect. Respect the coffee. You have a Caller. Uh, okay, ca- caller, you're on the air. Uh, hey there, Dave. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, pressure cooking. Ah, good. Uh, I am in the enthusiast category, not a, just a home chef, and have been listening to your show for a while. Um, long enough that I memorized the phone number, which is a little scary to me. Wow. Cool. Yeah, because I forgot uh, to mention it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so the, I can't really afford this, the sous vide equipment, the lo, the low temperature right now. But I did get a pressure cooker, and because I've heard you mention it a bunch of times, and I was curious about some recipes. I hadn't really heard you talk too much about like what the pressure cooker is really good for. I really I got it in the mail, and I was like, well, what do I do with this? Okay, do you, what kind of pressure cooker do you have? Uh, it's just a, it's a six quart, and I I can't remember the brand. Does it vent or does it not vent? Like in other words, when it's when it's running. Does it constantly put steam out or not? I haven't even tried it yet. <laughs> okay. So the, the, the pressure cookers in general, they all pressure cookers that you that you buy, it's gas or it's electric. It's uh, it's, it's stove. Okay. Stove top. Yeah. So all stove top um, units basically uh, can either generate five psi of pressure or fifteen, right? And so they it was, it was 15. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you could do. In other words, they, they're usually settable to do either. But you, oh, and, I see. Okay, great. Right, but mo- most of the recipes that I do are based on fifteen. Uh, the The main difference is is that certain pressure cookers have a uh, pressure regulating mechanism in them that. Uh, regulates pressure without venting steam. So they use a spring, and you actually can see like um, a spring traveling up without any steam coming out of the units. Notably, Kuhn Recon has ones like that. Then other um, pressure cookers, um, they let you know they're at pressure, and they regulate their pressure by uh, emitting steam. And so you have to have steam emitting from it, a little bit, not a lot, uh, in order to judge whether you've reached the proper pressure or not. Okay, so uh-huh. one of the great things to do with pressure cookers is uh, stocks, stocks and, and soups. Um, what you need to realize when you're doing that, when you're making soups in, in general in a pressure cooker, is that pressure cooking drastically mutes the flavor of things like onions. It gets rid of a lot of their pungency, but it also amplifies their sweetness. So I like a lot of that sweetness from onions, so I, like, I quadruple my onion base in a recipe. Right, uh, uh-huh. but things like carrots, they stay sweet, but they don't get more or less sweet or celery. So if you just take the classic mirepoix there, okay. But what 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 happens is you get extremely fast um, removal of gelatin and flavor from the meats. So you can do a pressure cook stock in fifteen minutes. 
right? And then you, you, you uh-huh. let it come down, and then you can do – you could put a second set of bones into a second stock. I could do a triple stock, which is extremely indulgent, uh, I grant you, but in, in, a, in about an hour. The trick is if your pressure cooker is the kind of pressure cooker that releases steam, uh, I found that there's a flavor degradation in, in the stock versus regular – regular production. It's still faster and it's still good. But a pressure cooker that does not really release steam makes a, pre- a stock that in my estimation and the people have tasted is darker, meatier and tastes better and has better flavor than uh, regular cooked stock and and is also faster. Whereas if you have one that releases steam then um, the flavor is not quite as good as regularly produced stock. Still good, but not quite as good as regularly produced stock, but it still is quicker. One way around this is something that I I learned actually from um, Mirvold and Young and and Maxime uh, from uh, Modernist Cuisine is they actually do smaller stocks inside of mason jars in the pressure cooker. So when you're doing that, there's there's a couple of advantages if you're doing a soup or something with meat in it that way. One, it's sterilized if you cook it long enough. You have to know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? So it's shelf-stable at that point. Uh, but, you know, unless you read up on it, be careful, okay? Uh, second, uh, there is no choice. There's no way that volatiles can uh, leave. And so even with a, a pressure cooker that vents, you can get all the benefits of an undone pressure cooker. And the third one is you can do extremely small volumes. So if you have um, something... Um, like uh, squab, and you don't have that many bones, or some sort of game bird, or anything like that, where you don't have a lot of the product to begin with, you can still make a very concentrated, flavorful stock, because if you put it into a mason jar, and you can get different sizes of mason jars, all the way up to a liter and a half if you wanted to, uh, then uh, you can make those things very concentrated in small quantities. So that's that's a good thing to do. Um, another uh, great thing with pressure cookers is uh, pressure cooking uh, eggs. You let them you let them uh, hard boil for a couple of minutes with the lid off. The then um, just so that they're set so that they don't rupture. Then you you bring them up from cold. Then you close the pressure cooker, allow it to come up to 15 psi. Cook it for between 45 minutes, an hour, and 10 minutes. Let it come down naturally. If you let if you vent it. Uh, it, the eggs could explode, and then when they're cool, you'll open them. You'll see that they're brown, uh, and they'll have the out. The whites will have a kind of nutty toastiness, and the yolks will have an aroma of kind of a giblet gravy, kind, kind of chicken livery uh, aroma, which I find uh, quite awesome. And that's due yep. to the Maillard reactions in it. Um, pressure cooking mustard seeds in vinegar. You have to blanch them once or twice to get rid of the dirty taste. Uh, then after you pressure cook them in vinegar, then drain them and toss them in sugar. Makes an amazing garnish. Uh, horseradish grated, again blanched to get rid of the dirty flavor. Pressure cooked. Uh, you can make horseradish purees that taste of horseradish but aren't very pungent. Um, I actually use the pressure cooker all the time. And this is something I don't normally do. I would never do this to serve someone in a uh, in a restaurant situation because I would just do a long cooked braise but um, pork shoulder just hacked up with a bunch of uh, you know you just get like you know your three or four favorite ground dried chilies and uh, uh-huh. you know pork shoulder and even a, even you know I always have the I always I always use chicken stock because I always have chicken stock in my freezer, but any kind of stock in there, uh, and just very minimal amounts of liquid. The trick with pressure cooking is a minimal amount of uh, liquid in there because you're not going to boil a lot of it off. 
Uh, right. But they're they're fantastic for you know for for all of these things, and then you can get into kind of crazier situations like uh, trying to do pressure cooked caramels. Um, but they, they require uh, a little bit of tweaking. But yeah, pressure cooker, you're going to have – not only that, I don't know where you live, but summertime's coming on and nothing beats uh, pressure cooking. You know, su- summertime pressure cooking is awesome because you can you could tear off uh, a lot of ingredients in it without releasing a lot of heat into your kitchen because once they're at pressure, they have, they're very, very efficient once they're at pressure because remember you have to throttle right, it way right. down once they're cooking. So I think you're going to – I think you're going to enjoy it. Cool. Thanks. Hey, thank you. I have one one quick comment for Jack. Oh, Jack. Right, here you go, Jack. Oh, all right. Uh, what's up with the reverb button? <laughs> at, the, at the end of the show, the reverb button always goes off over the credits. Wow. It, it makes me very happy that somebody noticed that. Thanks. That's just, that's just to keep me entertained <laughs> back here. Yeah. Thanks, man. Nice. Nice. Speaking all of right. which, thank you very much. I was listening. By the way. Uh, quite correct. Call your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. All right, so back to Nastasha and her coffee. The main point of that was, the main point was that, is that she'll say something like, I don't like that kind of coffee. And to you, the listener, when, and I, I on purpose knew she was going to do something like this, so I didn't go crazy. But to, when I go completely bonkers when she says something like that, it's because it's as though she's opening a wound that hasn't even healed yet, that she's been stabbing me with the same knife for like two and a half, three months. And this, that particular one, years. So, she, so her, her, one of her little joys in life is to set up these situations where she can make me look like a tyrant in public uh, through this k- kind of careful application of minor irritants over long periods of time it's not that calculated it's really not i mean that just comes naturally to you (laughs) wow anyway hopefully i'll come back with an appreciation for coffee is is are you gonna are you gonna see (laughs) Dwayne or hipsters (laughs) yeah or hipsters right right you know portland portland many great things have come from portland andy andy ricker i'm gonna see him jack you you gonna see him out there Mm -hmm. jack you been to that restaurant yet pock pock no what the hell's wrong with you i don't know jesus it's in your hipster part of town (laughs) wow Damn. Damn. Uh, also, speaking of reverb button, I listened to a little bit of the show to check how the iTunes worked. I sound like I'm on coke most of the time. I'm trying no. to speak slower today. No. I, I like I'm telling you guys, I'm not on like the, <laughs> my drug of choice is alcohol and consumed hopefully responsibly on most You're mostly occasions. Mostly on rage. Uh, what? That's what my drug. My drug is rage. Rage. Yeah, rage. Anyway, uh, so I'm trying to speak a little bit more slowly today. Uh, if you guys have any opinions on whether I should speak uh, at this pace or at my normal pace, give me a call. But I can't help it. Like I'm trying right now. I'm deliberately slowing myself down so I don't sound like I'm I, I want to know if people like the personal anecdotes that you that you t- say tell. Like what? I don't know. Just some of your stories. I enjoy. I tell like when stories? it's all scientific and food. But well, you know, I told people. I, I know, told people. You know, a boring show. Call call in about waffles. Anything. I mean, yeah. We'll talk about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I no make... question is too stupid. That should be the new tagline for the show. <laughs> no question too stupid. No host. That's right. No host too smart. No question too stupid. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. There we go. Uh, Dave and Nastasha the Hammer Lopez, which was abbreviated here to NTHL. How long did it take you to figure out? What? How, did you get that right away? I didn't. You didn't? Mm-mm. Yeah, well, you don't. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Greetings from New Hampshire. Chris Anderson at the Monitor's Pantry pointed me to your show, and I've been enjoying the podcast. With Memorial Day around the corner. Oh, my God. It is around the corner. 
Nastasha's going directly, by the way, from Portland to Mirvold in Seattle to Japan. And I'm making her fly to all those locations with three, count them, three red hot pokers. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, I have a stop in Philadelphia. See? You're, what the hell's wrong with you? Hey, listen, Nastasha, here's the thing. You would, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to get to your question in, in, in one second. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, Nastasha and I are the two cheapest people on earth. We are so freaking cheap that even though we're out on the L train, Nastasha's like, how many transfers do I got to get to take a subway with all my stuff to the, to the airport, to LaGuardia? So I can, I'm like, listen, Nastasha, listen, we have a company now. Booker, I want everyone to listen to this. Booker and Dax will pay for you oh to take God. a car service <laughs> to LaGuardia, the airport. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. I was looking for the applause and I uh, found that. I yeah, which that. is even better. Whoops. Yeah, but it would be it would be hard to um, it would be hard to kind of understand the, the deeply ingrained cheapness that Nastasha and I have yeah. in general. Yeah. We're some cheap people. We are really cheap. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay, so with Memorial Day around the corner, can you summarize some specific time, temperature, and prep recommendations for low temperature for insurance and other low temperature cookout dishes? Off the top of my head are sausage and beer, uh, hamburger, fried chicken, strip steak, ribeye, and others. I have a polystyrene circulator and will likely cook, chill, retherm, and finish on the grill slash fryer, etc. How do you guesstimate minimum retherm time for a mixed pot of proteins? Is the maximum hold time four hours minus the cook time? Uh, and there's another question, but this that which I'm going to get in one second. In fact, I might do it later because it's going to take me a million years to answer that one. And Nastasha doesn't want to hear about any science, apparently. <laughs> but the, these questions are from Rob Trepas. And by the way, thank you for telling me how to pronounce your name because there's no way I would have gotten it off the spelling. What would your guess have been? I know I don't know, but I knew you were going to appreciate that, and I I did too. Yeah, I, yeah, we appreciate that kind of thing. We appreciate it. unless your name's Smith, in which case I know how to pronounce that already. Okay, uh, so. On retherm time, by the way, uh, the, don't worry. Everything on how long you can hold uh, a meat depends on the temperature of the bath. If the bath temperature is extremely low, so if I'm doing – so for, first of all, your first question was cooking for insurance. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's what you do is you use low temperature cooking, which is uh, using a water bath or a combi oven or a CVAP is using a very, very accurate temperature to cook the meat all the way through. Now, the meat at this point is not finished. In general, when I do cooking for insurance, low temperature for insurance, I don't do any kind of pretreatments to it at all. All I'm doing is assuring that the center of the meat is cooked exactly where I want it to be, and then I cool it. Okay, and so for chicken breast, it would be sixty-three degrees Celsius. Uh, for chicken leg, it would be sixty-five, sixty-six degrees Celsius. Uh, for uh, rib steak, it would be fifty-five degrees Celsius. Uh, and the, you know the list goes on and on. For sausage, it would be uh, I usually do sixty or one hundred and forty degrees. It's a little pink in the center, but I like it that way. Did you like the brats we had? Yeah, I love them. That was sixty degrees. But Pat Lafrida donated to the uh, Museum of Food and Drink event we had last week. Uh, thank you for people that have uh, been to our fundraisers in the past. And Pat Lafrida made up a bunch of delicious brats. We circulated them in Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn Brewery gave us a bunch of beer. Graciously gave us beer to circulate the brats in, and we circulated the brats. At at uh, 140 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, 60 degrees Celsius, and then grilled them off. Man, were those good. They were really good. Man, on Martin's potato rolls. What was the name of the mustard we got? That's good mustard, too. Uh, Look it up. That was delicious mustard. Anyway, delicious. Um, So what you do is you cook it all the way through, and then when you're finishing them, uh, 
and a lot of times we don't retherm when you're doing for insurance. We don't retherm using uh, or, or, or reheat using low temperature. We just do traditional cooking methods. So if you're doing a prime rib, here's my recommendation for a prime rib. Cook an entire prime rib to 55 degrees all the way through. Now it's medium rare, rare, medium rare in the center. It's good, right? Whole thing's good. Now, let it cool down. Wrap it. Let it cool down. Put it into a very hot oven and just wait for the crust to develop. What you want is that nice, crispy crust on the outside. And with a prime rib, actually, you want a little bit of overcooked stuff on the outside. Otherwise, a prime rib doesn't look appetizing when you cut through it because it's all one color of meat. But you're, all you need to focus on is delicious crust because the inside is already cooked to where you want it. Right, And so that's the essence of cooking for insurance. Duck breast, 57 degrees uh, Celsius, about 135 uh, Fahrenheit. You want to cook it for 45 minutes. Make sure you flatten the breast uh, so that the skin will render later. Let it cool down. And then all you need to focus on is searing off the skin. And that searing off the skin will reheat the meat enough to serve it, but it's not going to overcook it because you're just focused on the skin, so your pan heat can be a little bit higher than it normally would, right? So, uh, and basically anything can be, can be done that way. Hamburgers, I do at 55 to 57, depending on uh, the, how squeamish the people are who are eating it. Uh, and then on a hamburger, uh, a hamburger, sometimes you can even let like, cool all the way down. You've got to be a little careful to not let oxygen in the bag. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem with uh, rancidity when it reheats, especially if it sits overnight, which you don't want to do. Uh, and then you, know, you, you can let it cool down and then deep fry it, and they're great. Uh, rib steak, uh, if you're going to serve it um, right away, I would drop the temperature to 50 degrees Celsius, but the, not if you're going to serve it in a health department kind of – but I do that at home. But don't let it sit very long at 50. I would only let it sit a couple of hours at 50 C because there you, you're at the borderline where bacteria are going to start coming back to life. They won't, but – you know, you don't want to be in that situation uh, too long. But if you're holding something like a sausage above the temperature at which bacteria are dying, and the temperature keeps getting revised down and down, uh, but a sausage you can hold easily at 140 or even uh, lower, uh, you're going to be killing bacteria, and you can hold it for infinity, basically. You know, the texture will start going down, but you can hold it uh, for infinity. Um, how's that sound? Is that good? Good. All right. Uh, I'm going to come back to your other question after uh, the commercial break and answer it a little bit later on cheeses. Come back, Cookie Issues. was sponsored by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Summertime is not the only time when barbecue is welcome. 
At S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, Sam Edwards has been working his magic on ribs, briskets, pit-cooked pulled pork, and much, much more. Add a few of their sides and the party is complete. Entertaining has never been so easy. To order, go to virginiatraditions.com. <laughs> the reverb busting it out. Yeah, like, man. Call any questions. Oh, we have a caller right now, but we let me just say this right before, before we take the caller on. I like myself some Sam Edwards ham. Sam yeah. Edwards, though, does not enjoy the potty mouth. Oh. Does not, just don't curse around Sam Edwards. It's true. He's a traditional man. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, well, you know, I hear Natasha's coming to Portland, so uh, I don't actually have a question. I like, do have one about the, uh, the pressure cooking stock in a can that's cool. Um, but I do have a suggestion, uh, which is, if you only go to one brewery in Portland, it would be go to the Cascade Brewing Barrel House, which okay. is fantastic, and all they have is sour beer. Wow. And it's constantly changing, and it's probably the uh, the best place. Like in general? Was, <laughs> yeah, no, no, like seriously, in, in general. I, I, you've got somebody to choose from. It's the one place. You just keep going back. It changes all the time. There's... Uh, it's like seriously the best place in general. The cheese bar is good too. Yeah. Awesome! I'll check it okay, out. So what's it called? Cascade. Cascade, Cascade Brewing. Cascade Brewing. It's their barrel house. It's on. It's on Belmont. It's. It's just constantly changing sour beer, and it's. Uh, it's. It's a fantastic value as well. Yeah. Um, but, and they, they specialize in sour in sour beers, like uh, like uh, Rodenbach style, or or what? Uh, well, they have they have some Rodenbach style, but they'll do they'll do everything from uh, from sour wheat beers uh, to and and then and then they'll barrel age them and then they'll serve some of them live from the barrel, um, and uh, they'll add I mean the most random fruits and nuts that I haven't uh, trying to remember. There's one like a I can't even pronounce the nut that they put in there, um, but it was it was fantastic. Well, uh, no. Nastasha likes it actually. Uh, if she's going to have a beer, it's hard to get her to have it. Frankly, which I don't want to bring up right now, but <laughs> but she likes beer with acidity. I do. So she this might maybe the place for her, yeah. and I hope to hear back from her on uh, how much she enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, about the the stock in the in the can though when you're when you're canning, what does the uh, if you if you add any aromatics or uh, or uh, you know when you add vegetables to it, does that or are you talking about just making it with the with the bones because would, would those break down or something if you left them in a can for a while? Uh, if you left them a long time, probably. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the, the ones they were doing, they were doing almost like. Uh, I mean, think about it. confits are are done in jars all the time, and they're delicious, and there's there's bones in them. Um, so once it stops cooking, you're not going to get a, a, that much more extraction. I mean, in other words, I don't think you're going to be ripping the calcium out of it if that's what you mean. Um, Depending because it, it's not going to be acidic. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And in things like confit that are often jugged or, or, or canned, processed, um, they're fine for, for a long period of time. But I think in Modernist Cuisine, they were making just smaller versions of stocks. Uh, I, I haven't seen that section in a long time, so you're stretching my, uh, my memory banks. And when I did get to look at it, I, I have to just make a confession. I don't own it yet, so I've only gotten to look at it when – I have like pawed through it at the events I've gone to. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. it's, so, and I, I mean, I know all those guys, and I've t- I talk to those guys all the time, and 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 I've read ch- you know chunks of it, but literally sitting at a library, <laughs> you know, not. Uh, yeah. I will own it. It's, I'm not. I, I, I'm. It's worth the money. 
You know what I mean? But I just don't own it yet. Because imagine if I told my wife, hey, honey, I spent $500 on a book. What? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe Booker and Dax will own a copy. We'll keep it at the, uh, what's it called? Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Cool. I have a question for the caller, actually. Twitter okay. Twitter wants to know if that brewery uses spontaneous fermentation. You know, I believe they have their own cultures now, so they they're it's actually uh, in the barrels now, and so when they when they put the beer into the barrel, um, it picks up all the uh, lactobacillus and uh, Britannomyces and uh, whatever else is in there, and so they've got. Uh, They've got different barrels, and then they'll blend some of them together towards the end. But I'm not sure if that originally came from spontaneous fermentation, if, if the cultures are in the barrel. But I, I think they are, because they have their own um, – they get, like, all their, all their fruit from around here, and they just, they just let it go. They're really, really, really good. Cool. Thanks. Thank yeah. you. We also have another caller, guys. All right, caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, David. Andy from Chicago. Hey. Hey, how you guys doing today? All right. Good, good. Hey, I had a meal at Charlie Trotter's last Thursday at the kitchen table. That was incredible. Oh, when, when are but, they closing that down? When are they closing down? Hey, I'm having trouble hearing you. I, I think I might need to call back. Uh, well, well you, you talk to talk. All right, you call back in a sec. I want to hear about the dinner at Charlie. Give a call right back. I will. Thanks. Bye. Oh, cool. So while he's waiting to call back, Michael Natkin from Herba Voracious uh, wrote in. And uh, thanked us for mentioning the book. We've read the book. I enjoyed the book. And by the way, it gives a well-deserved shout-out. He does to Iceberg Lettuce, which is delicious. I like Iceberg Lettuce. Who doesn't like Iceberg Lettuce? It's some crunchy, cool, refreshing stuff. Jack, are you with me? I'm on board. Nastasha even is on board. We're, all three of us are on board for, for Iceberg Lettuce and, and for Michael Natkin from Herba Voracious. Uh, he wrote back, he would like to be on one of our shows. Let him know what you think would be a good fit. You could come on this show if you wanted to. Yeah. We could have a talk. I, mean, I don't know if you want to. You could, if, he, if that's what you wanted to Where's do. He, he just was in New York and didn't stop by the Booker and Dax because he went to uh, Atera, which uh, he gave an amazing uh, review to the... Uh, have you been there? No. With Mark? Mm-mm. It just seems like the kind of place you would go. Mm-mm. Apparently, amazing new place. Uh, Platt from New York Magazine gave it four stars. Uh, I haven't been because I haven't been, but uh, he says, says very, very good things about... Caller's uh, back, by the way. All right, caller, you are on the air. Hey, Dave, this is Andy again. Yeah, is that better? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. What's going on? Good, good. So, Charlie yeah. Trotter, when are they closing down? They're closing end of August. I think August 31st or something like that. All right, so you're one of the last people to ever eat there. I, I think I was. and In fact, the group that I went with, we loved it so much, we're going to try to go again on the very last day that they're open. It was just, you know, it was, it was incredible. I mean, being in the kitchen and actually seeing everybody cook and, uh, you know, serving us right there, it was just uh, really an experience of a lifetime. And a couple of my dining companions actually got, were able to get up and help help some of the chefs, like, prepare our, prepare some of the dishes near the end. So was it as clean as it is famously purported to be? <laughs> it was pretty clean. Yeah, we, we ended up staying there until like 1.30 a.m. or something like that, and they were scrubbing the heck out of that thing by the time they were done. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with the cleanliness. Charlie's uh, he's, he's, uh, he's kind of got a coarse mouth, which is pretty fun. He's, it seems like he's having fun in the last few months that he's open. So, wait, so you're saying the floor is clean, but his mouth is not? <laughs> that's exactly right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the important thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he famously said once that... Uh, you could almost review a restaurant just by looking at its floor in the kitchen. 
Interesting. You know, I think I've heard that now that you say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of his better known uh, statements. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like it. You know, I like eating in clean establishments, and that was one of the cleaner ones I've. Well, I mean, I've never been in a real, you know, rarely been in a real restaurant kitchen before, so this was, uh, but I was, I was impressed nonetheless. Nice. Yeah, so they did kind of this like uh, this uh, beet terrine, and I was wondering, what do you think they used? Did they use anything to bind it together, or uh, how, how? You know, I imagine it would be cooked at a fairly high temp, or would you cook the beets beforehand and then just put them in the terrine and let them chill and set? Or what do you think? Was it served hot or cold? Uh, cold. Yeah, so they could bind it with almost anything. Then if you serve cold. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the classically, obviously, you could, you would bind something like a gelatin. If you wanted to stay, um, if you wanted to stay vegetarian, I would use a combination of. Um, if you want that gelatin-like feel, that awesome mouthfeel of gelatin, I would use uh, a mixture of kappa carrageenan and locust bean gum. The kappa carrageenan by itself is brittle, and the locust bean gum, when you add it to it. Um, softens it so it's like yeah so it's like gelatin but it still can remelt so you can use it if you wanted to heat it i mean you could use agar the problem with agar is uh it's not a hundred percent clear so it's not going to look as shiny do you know what i'm saying uh as 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 kappa plus the special lbg that cp coco serves will use uh you could also use uh, something called Jelan gum. Jelan is not going to be as flexible if you use the clear one it's going to be a little more brittle but then you could deep fry it cool yeah. That, oh wow, deep fried. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. Uh, the problem with gelan, if you're going to use gelan, is that you have to um, you, you have to heat the beets before you pour it on, or you're going to get some pre-gelling problem. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, agar is going to be a little simpler to work with, but, but uh, kappa carrageenan LBG, which is uh, uh, I think Modernist has a has a version of that uh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that mixture is a really good, or just straight up gelatin. Gelatin is great yeah. as as long as your kitchen's not going to be too hot and you're going to serve it cold. Yeah, and I'm not too worried about, you know, keeping it veggie or vegan. So I think Delton would probably be the way to go. But, yeah, it was really nice. Real golden beet, just gorgeous. So, nice. Um, another, another quick question. I, I called in last summer about a ham I was curing in my attic, and unfortunately I went up there a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and I've got bugs. Ah, uh, I hate that. No. Beetles or mites? I, what, what was the first one? Beetles? I think they're mites. Uh, they, well, they're little, I, they look to be little grubby-type things. Um, you know, they leave kind of a sawdust looking, what I assume is some sort of feces, you know, around where they're, where they're chewing. Basically, there was a little bit of a taint in up near the bone. Uh, there was a little bit of extra skin removed and a little too much exposure. I don't think I got it salted quite well enough when I first, uh, you know, when I first cured it. And so there's always been a little bit of a taint up there, but until a few weeks ago, you know, no sign of any other type of contamination. So you think there's, yeah, what do I do? Am I am I just screwed? I mean, or or do you think there's some? Is there a way I can you know cut the rest of it around the bugs? Or right. what do you think? Okay, yeah. so you're in Chicago, yeah. I am. Yeah. So you're pr- probably pretty much like New York. I mean, they have other things like skippers down south that cause problems, but in our kind of uh, latitudes, the yeah. two main enemies of ham are different varieties of boring beetle and mites. So okay. uh, the boring beetle. You'll see holes in the meat just above the fat line. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see those? Are there holes in the meat? I, I couldn't really tell. Like the place, the butcher job wasn't wasn't very good. You know, they they uh, it was clear that the pig was hung from this leg. So There's like a little bit of slit, you know, in the tendon by the uh, what do you call it? The uh, um, gambrel, right? You know, the gambrel holes, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I, I haven't had the chance to really inspect it that closely to see where it is, but it's not on the face. It's all up by the 
up by the the bone. I'm hanging it, uh, you know, hock hock up. All right, well, shoot stuff. I haven't noticed. I mean, well, the good news is is that the taint can be cut away, and the rest of the ham is is okay, and that. Uh, you know, I, I've I've had a lot of beetle damage before on hams I've been had hanging, but they were always on the face. But for, for those of you that don't know, what we're talking about the face is the portion of meat that the bone right. projects out of that was attached to the pig. And I usually see beetle damage right at the fat line uh, on the face side, right? Not on not through the skin because the skin's a lot harder to attack than the face. So the boring beetle damage that I've had has been on the face side. So it's probably not that. If you're not seeing individual bugs, but just kind of dust on the ground, that's probably mites. And those mites, like the dust is actually mites and not feces. It's actually mites. The good news there, brush off the mites and you're you're good to go. The bad news, the bad news, once you have mites in your attic, you have mites in your freaking attic. And like, even if you wait for a year and hang another ham, you're going to get mites on that ham. So. Yeah, so like there are things you can treat your your uh, attic with that uh, I forget what I forget the name of them because I've never I've never tried to do it. I also now have mites in my house, so when I hang hams, I get mites. It's not going to hurt it. You can brush them off. It's not a problem. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think I did see some actual little grubby larva looking things, so it's probably not the mites. Oh, but that was probably on the taint section. Oh yeah, good point. Right, right, right. Maybe it's just. Uh, you know, flies or something like right. that. Right, that yeah. could be flies. Any kind of fly, like blowfly or anything like that. So, you know, things like that. Right. Like because they'll eat um, that section, whereas they won't eat the really cured part. I mean, cut yeah. cut yourself a good section around that that tainted portion. And to be honest, there's not that much meat up there anyway. You're not losing that exactly. much. What you're losing is a couple good soups. That's it. Yep. You know what I mean? I, and the rest of your ham should up. be fine. Yeah, you can give that up, and the rest of your ham should be fine. Yeah, and you know, frankly, it's it's been a good experiment, but. You know, for the quality of ham you can get from, you know, Finchville and Newsom and stuff like that, not that expensive and pretty freaking incredible. So uh, this might be my last stab at it, but at least I can salvage this one. Yeah, so, but you know what? Like, it's rewarding and there is a learning curve to it. Um, you know, you might want to check out uh, Dr. Norman Marriott, uh, formerly, he's emeritus at, uh, I think, Virginia Tech, has a, a pretty good PDF available online. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, with, that. Yeah, with right. troubleshooting on, uh, on, on ham curing, if you want to give it again. I, unfortunately, don't have a place that I can hang one, so I haven't, I haven't done one. But as soon as I get a house out in the middle of nowhere to, you know, take <laughs> my kids to when I'm not in New York City, I'll be hanging up some pork, believe it or not. Let I me mean, believe yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm looking at a curing chamber, too. Uh, you know, the Cured Meats blog, Jason Molinari, I think he's written in a couple of times. He's got, a, you know, some good good DIY curing chamber tips. So I think that uh, hopefully that'll help. Uh, I'd like to try some other type of uh, salumi and things like that as well. So yeah, that'll it, help. it is the age of the DIY. Thank God it's an exciting time to be alive. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Cool. All Thanks right. so much. Thank you. Yep, talk to you. Bye. Uh, Jack, can we do one more commercial break? Uh, sure. Call your questions to this. What is it? 718 
Any better year. It was for Seattle. <laughs> yeah, but what you don't know is is that my cousins are from Seattle, and we're always doing like the weird Eddie Vedder stuff when we're cooking. By the way, <laughs> I pre-apologize to everyone for not getting to. All, I'm not going to be able to get to all the questions today, right, Stas? Well, save them for Japan. Oh, uh, we're going to try and do cooking issues from Japan. Can we do that, Jack? Yeah, let's do it. Cooking issues from Tokyo. In all right, the prep kitchen. What? Yeah, we're going to be in the in the uh, in the prep kitchen. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, uh, dear Nastasha, Dave, and Jack. Uh, love the show Appreciate how accessible You make it for us To not in the industry Full time I've learned a lot And had a chance To use much of what You talk about Thank you uh, This is from Alan Friedman By the way uh, And he expects us all To be killed by uh, By vegan terrorists But you first Nastasha <laughs> Just saying Um I'm curious whether current microwave technology is at all interesting. I have a chance to get a very cheap new microwave with continuous amplitude control rather than traditional pulse-width, full-on, full-off cycling. But it wouldn't be worth the hassle of swapping out and disposing of the old one if there's nothing really new and interesting I can do with it. I've never really used a microwave for anything other than leftovers and melting chocolate, but perhaps there are fun techniques that you could share. Thanks, Alan. Uh, and then a little note to Bene. As, as much fun as playing with old microwaves was as a rather reckless young geek, I may be more averse to self-immolation these days. Alan. Okay, true story. Uh, I, look, having done it several times, please don't chop up your microwave oven. There are dangerous voltages in there. Uh, if you defeat the safety interlocks, you can uh, nu- nuke your eyeballs with uh, microwaves, and then they turn white like a cooked egg, never to unwhite. Uh, yeah, so please don't mess with your... Excuse me. Please don't mess with your microwaves. Uh, that said, I've done it <laughs> several times. Uh, but... The, 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 the trick here, for those of you who don't know what the hell we're talking about, when you put a microwave, standard microwave, on half power, have you noticed this, Nastasha? you have a microwave? No. Have you ever had a microwave? Yeah. You notice how it goes, meh, meh, and the light dims a little bit? Mm-hmm. That's because it doesn't actually change the power level. It just turns the magnetron off and on for a specific amount of time. And it actually takes a little bit of time. The magnetron, by the way, is the thing that's generating the microwaves. That's what it's called. It's called the magnetron. And it takes a while for the magnetron to heat up, start generating the, you know, to actually start producing appreciable amounts of microwave. So they time the, uh, the duty cycle, not the duty cycle, the, uh, the, the full cycle, how long that cycle is. To uh, take advantage of the fact that the magnetron has a little bit of a time lag between when you apply power and when the microwaves come out. So uh, 80% power, it's on 80% of the time and then off 20. Uh, 100% power, it's on 100% of the time. And the theory with microwaves is that that's okay because you're hitting it with full power and then turning it off and the food gets to cool off and it all averages out. Continuous uh, control is something that allows you to um, actually change the amount of power that the microwave is putting out on a continuous basis. I've always wanted one in a, to do very controlled, delicate work on defrosting and things like that, but I've never used one. So I can't say whether or not it's actually any better. The one time I tried to build one, I was trying to do microwave dehydration in a vacuum. Uh, and <laughs> so the idea is is that you use a microwave uh, to boil the inside of – so microwaves penetrate food, and so you're actually boiling the liquids out on the inside of a product. Um, and that is advantageous if you're trying to dry it in the presence of a vacuum to – instead of freeze-drying, if you don't have it, to do things like uh, dehydrated grapes without them having shrunk like raisins because the pro- positive pressure of the water boiling out uh, keeps them in the proper shape as they're going. The issue is – I had, I had a lot of issues, but I wanted to control the power so that it didn't overheat, 
but my temperature control, my, I had a thermocouple in there, and it was arcing like a bastard because as soon as you apply microwaves in a vacuum, a partial vacuum, you get huge plasma balls rolling around and lighting everything on fire on the inside of the microwave. I then was trying to do uh, power control on it of my own kind of accord. It was a complete nightmare, horrible. I don't recommend doing it. That said, I've always been interested in actual continuous controlled uh, microwaves, but I don't know. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, and what we, uh, all of my microwave tricks are like really crappy things to do to somebody else's microwave at a party at this point, which I can't really, I don't really want to talk about on the air because there's plenty of websites that'll teach you how to do it. Right, Stas? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, let's take another question. Uh, hey, uh, Dave, Nastasha, and Jack. Went to the NRA show recently and scored a deal for a PolyScience professional circulator package for about 50% off. By the way, good tip. If you're going to uh, trade shows... The last day of the trade show, people don't want to carry that crap home. So what you can do is make a deal with them, preferably early in the trade show, to buy their units before they go home. This way, they don't have to take them home, and you can get usually dealer price or sometimes even slightly below dealer price uh, at, at trade shows. Good little tip. Uh, I do not have a vacuum sealer, food, sta- food saver style, nor chamber. I will receive the circulator soon. I had a couple of questions. Can you leave proteins in the cryovac packaging to cook sous vide? Um, perhaps you just give up the ability to pre-sear season and marinate. Okay, the problem with that, a lot of um, cryovac uh, bags that are shipped aren't shipped. They're not cook chill bags, and so you, they're not going to they're not going to melt in, a, in at the temperatures you're using in a circulator. But they're not necessarily rated for heating, and so I can't guarantee that there's no sort of plastic. I can't guarantee the plastic safety at temperature. That said, I've done it many times. <laughs> and, and and basically, it's very good for things like uh, sous vide for uh, or low temperature and sous vide for um, for insurance purposes. But don't do it if you don't trust the bag. Um, what's the problem with air in the bag while cooking sous vide or low temp? There's the, there's two problems with air. One is that it can cause a, a, an issue where it doesn't heat as quickly, and so in shorter cook things, it can um, it can lead to spots that aren't cooked as well. In very very long cook things in the middle of the air stops the heat penetration you can get growth of lactobacillus in the place where there was an air pocket uh, if it doesn't heat quickly enough and then you can get off flavors the main problem is is if there's air in the bag and then you store it for a long time there's oxygen in the bag and you can develop rancidity in the uh in the fat um and that's bad right so that's mm-hmm. bad um but in the short term it's not a problem at all uh, and finally, if I use low temp zip, Ziploc approach, which you can see on cookingissues.com, I give a step by step with pictures. Uh, what limitations, safety, etc., are there with regards to length of time in the bath or temperature used as the bagging is uh, n- not quite a vacuum? There are no limitations on time. I've done limit. I've only cooked up to three days in one, but there's no limitations. I wouldn't do anything that's cooked higher than about 70 degrees C, uh, but that's. In other words, not vegetables. Almost anything else I would cook in a Ziploc bag. It's a great technique. Uh, I do that all the time. Uh, thanks. I love the show. I'm looking forward to checking out Booker and Dax next time in New York City. Nastasha, here it is. Please pick on Dave more on the air so it does not seem so one-sided. John. Stop by the bar and then you'll see it. Wow. Live. What? what? See, what? You picking on me live? <laughs> yes. You have to come early. I'm mainly at the bar, I'm mainly at the bar uh, yeah. early. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We have so many other interesting questions uh, that I didn't get a chance uh, to do today. We I have bet one. We're in- not going to get any questions this week because of Memorial Day. So, so we can get them. So, Colin has a question on pressure cooking marmalades. Marty wants to know about meat analogs. 
Uh, I, you know, I still, still didn't get to Rob's question on emulsifying sauce, uh, salts with uh, processed cheese and the uh, studies that I was looking at where they're making ketchup-flavored processed cheese, and we could talk about our ketchup chocolate that we did back in the day. So many, many interesting things that we didn't get to on the air today. I promise to get to them all, hopefully live from Tokyo next week. Cooking Issues! Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.